Welcome to the Parents at Work podcast, a podcast for the modern parent working in the modern world. Join us as we interview leading experts in their fields to unveil the secrets working parents need to succeed at work. Welcome to Parents at Work, a podcast for people who want to succeed and thrive at work while they have kids. This podcast is sponsored by the Spiegel Law Firm, a firm that empowers people who have been wrongfully fired or afraid that they might be. I am Tom Spiegel. If you would like a copy of my book, You're Pregnant, You're Fired, email me at Tom at SpiegelLaw.com. Joining me today is my co-host, Lori Mahalik-Levin, an attorney and founder of the online platform Mindful Return. Lori, I'll turn it over to you to tell us more about Mindful Return and introduce our guest today. Wonderful, Tom. It's great to be here with you today. Hi, everyone. Mindful Return is a program that helps new parents navigate that tricky transition back to work after parental leave and helps employers to retain their new parent top talent. Today, we have two excellent conversations to share with you with two different moms in corporate social responsibility, otherwise known as social impact. First, Tom and I had a discussion with Abby Davison at Gap Inc., and then we had the good fortune of speaking with Ann Wintrobe, who is at at and I'm going to tell you a little bit about each of them, and then we'll cut over to the conversation with Abby. Abby Davison is currently a senior director in Gap Foundation, the social impact arm of the global retailer Gap Inc., parent company of Gap, Banana Republic, Old Navy, Athleta, Hill City, Intermix, and Janie and Jack. The mother of two young sons, Abby's passionate about finding innovative ways to integrate work and family. She launched and currently leads the Employee Network Group for Working Parents at Gap, Inc., and she speaks frequently on issues relating to work-family integration. Anne Wintrobe leads social innovation for the AT&T Foundation, focusing on education, arts, and media. She lives in San Francisco with her husband, her two sons, Augie, who's 11, and Arlo, who's four, and their dog, Nick Nolte, who is four-ish. She's the founder of the Augie Fund, an organization that buys glasses for any child in the Bay Area who needs them. Now I'm pleased to share with you our first conversation with Abby. Abby, we're delighted to have you on with us today. Welcome. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Great. Well, I know we share a passion for starting working parent groups, so I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today. And to kick us off, I would love if you could first just tell us a little bit about your own personal working parent story. Well, I have always been a working parent in my current role. I actually had interned for Gap Inc. when I was in graduate school before I had children, and but went to work somewhere else after I graduated, and then but had always stayed in touch with the folks who led the team here. And six years later, they reached out and said, we have a new role opening up on the foundation team, and your name came up, and, you know, are you interested? And I actually was thinking about making a career change, but I was also expecting my first child. And so I said, you know, this role looks tailor-made for me, but in the spirit of full disclosure, I am in my third trimester of pregnancy and um, just want you to be aware of that so you're not surprised when I walk in. And they said to their great credit, well, if you're interested, put your name into the hat. And so I did. And I interviewed and I, you know, in between conversations got increasingly larger and so ended up, you know, having a very frank conversation with the hiring manager about the fact that I would was planning to take a leave before I would be able to start the role. 
and, you know, ended up actually receiving the offer to for the role. And this is a fun fact, but I got the offer on a Wednesday. I accepted it on a Thursday. And then my older son came two weeks early. So I had my baby on Friday. So (laughs) I did not even have time to call my current employer and tell her that I wouldn't be coming back to that role before I was on maternity leave. So it was all very fast and furious. But I think it is a testament to the culture of Gap Inc. that that was, you know, my origin story of how I started this role. And I've since gone on to have another child while I've been working here and feel so strongly that it's a great place to be a working parent. But as you mentioned, I saw some opportunities even with that strong culture. And I can share more about the origin story of Gap Parents a little bit later in the conversation. That's great, Abby. I do love the stories of interviewing while pregnant and having that you know, really not be taken into account as a factor, which is as it should be. Um, It also sounds like there was a lot of life change going on at once with the new baby and the new job and all of that. A lot of learning curves, for sure. (laughs) Yes. Um, If you could zoom out and just give us a little bit of perspective on what you think it's like to be a mom in corporate social responsibility these days, we would welcome that. So I was thinking about this question. I think it's hard to generalize. I think like most jobs, it is very manager dependent. We now as the leader of an employee network group, I talk to our members a lot and they talk about even with a culture that is very supportive of being a working parent and having priorities outside of work, it's a little bit like winning the manager lottery. Either you have a manager that understands how to support someone in trying to combine work and family, or you have a manager that really doesn't. And I think I am very fortunate to have been hired by a manager who really understood that. That was the first hiring manager who offered me the role when I was pregnant, and I've changed managers a number of times. And you know, some have had children of their own, others didn't, but they all recognize the importance of flexibility and the importance of setting very clear goals and then holding the team accountable to those goals. So it wasn't about FaceTime. It wasn't about, are you here late? It was about, are you getting your work done or not? And I think that is for me, what has kept me here now six and a half years, it is about, you know, are you doing your best work as opposed to are you working a certain number of hours, which is, you know, not the metric I would offer that is really an indicator of success and effectiveness. Mm. Yeah, you've articulated, well, first of all, something that comes up time and time again uh, with the folks that we interview and, you know, articulated really some of the factors that make someone a really supportive manager. I'm just going to throw in extra question before I pass this to Tom which is, gosh darn it, why should you have to win the manager lottery in order to have a good leave and a good experience? And, you know, I just keep saying this, but do you think that there's anything we society can be doing to change that expectation or make it more uniform in terms of the experience people have when they're coming back? Well, I absolutely think that manager training should be part of all of the different training that you get as a leader. And I know that actually this is something that that Gap has in the works because it is a form of unconscious bias, right? To make a certain assumptions about certain employees because their arrangements at home, whether it's, you know, caring for children or it's caring for other people. And so I do think that just as we train managers in performance reviews and we train managers on, you know, how to give feedback, we should be training managers 
you know, consistently about how to support employees before, during, and after leave, because it should not be up to the employee to kind of train their own manager. There's lots of challenges with that. So I think that, you know, I certainly know that Gap is working on this, but I think it's something that as an industry, just in general, across all companies, we are inconsistent about. And so I absolutely think there's some room to improve. Yeah, great points. Over to you, Tom. All right. Thanks, Lori Nabby. Yeah, you think how ridiculous it would be if you substituted, you know, working parent for, you know, another category like, oh, what's it like, you know, being a black person returning to work? Well, you got to win the manager lottery to be treated fairly as a uh, African-American returning to work or a woman or I mean, it's just, you know, your question points to Lori, the absurdity of that, you know, we're doing much better in society, but we have a long way to go. Abby, quick question for you, just sort of a threshold matter. And for my own education, what exactly is corporate responsibility? Sure. So I actually like the term corporate impact. I think responsibility, we've sort of evolved beyond responsibility. I think when the term started, it was this idea that companies have a just that responsibility to try not either to minimize the harm that they're doing in the world or to maximize the good that they can do. But now I think there's an awareness that and that was, you know, separate from how they ran their business. And this was it was very, you know, when I think this industry started, it was really kind of a very siloed effort. It was kind of, you know, reporting driven on what companies were doing to mitigate essentially their existence. And I think, you know, certainly what drew me to Gap and what I think other companies have caught on to is that there is actually a way to have impact on the world in a positive way while increasing your bottom line. So this idea of shared value, the idea that you actually can um, find either new customers or new types of employees or talent and that are contributing to your success as a business while actually leaving the world better off than you found it. So I think this idea of there being a virtuous cycle is now something that companies are waking up to. It's certainly been the way that Gap has operated. And I run one of the programs that Gap put into place over a dozen years ago to find um, new opportunities of untapped talent that could become great employees, but actually be have a positive impact on those, in this case, young people's lives. So I think responsibility is a bit of an old school term. And I think the idea of shared value is one that is more current. Interesting. And that would seem to fit well with a lot of what we're talking about here is that you know, there is a not only the right thing to do part of treating parents well at work, but there's a bottom line aspect to it as well. You know, rising tide lift all boats. Okay, very interesting. Well, let me actually move on to my actual questions here. And the first one is, what workplace supports did you find particularly helpful as you became a working parent? Well, as I mentioned, I was had actually accepted a job but hadn't started uh, when I was on my first maternity leave. But fortunately, I lived in California. So I was able to access the paid family leave that California has in place. It, I think we were actually the first state to institute a paid family leave program. So that was very helpful. So it wasn't a completely unpaid leave. And then the second time around, I was able to access Gap Inc.'s paid leave, parental leave. And so that was certainly helpful because we live in a very expensive part of the world. And so really having only one source of income at that point was not ideal for our family. 
I think some other supports that were helpful were places to pump breast milk. So I really would, you know, went back to work after four months, both times, but had planned to nurse both of my sons for, you know, as long as I could. So GAP has access to, they're called quiet rooms. They're essentially, you know, mothers or nursing rooms. And you book them on Outlook the way you book any other resource, any other conference space. What was challenging is that because there are so many nursing moms at Gap that often in the times of the day that you would tend to go pump, they would be completely booked. So I learned a trick from another working mom, which was to have someone book ahead. You know, you can book conference rooms up until I think six months ahead. So while I was still on my first maternity leave, you know, I'd asked someone to help and, you know, book the time slots that I would plan to pump so that I could actually make sure I had a space to come back to and do that. So that was helpful. And then, I mean, that really other moms who worked here and were just a few months ahead of me were a tremendous resource because they could share not only tricks like that, but other tricks. I remember when I learned that I didn't have to wash my pump parts every time. I could just put them in the fridge. That was a really helpful thing. So just tips like that were instrumental. Yeah. I'll just jump in and say that I also wish that I had known that because I did bring three sets of pump parts per day. But I have also since been told that it is against the medical community's recommendations to do that. And so I offer that as a disclaimer, although I know plenty of people who still are doing it. Very interesting. Learn all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And it's amazing how long it takes plastic to dry. I don't know what it is about plastic. Let me ask you the flip side of that, Abby. Were there things that you, supports that you did not have that you think somebody coming up behind you would benefit from? Absolutely. So I think the manager training that we talked about, I did win the manager lottery. And I think, you know, for the most part, actually, Gap Inc. is a culture where it tends to be the exception rather than the rule that somebody doesn't get it. But, it, you know, it still happens. It's not a perfect workplace. So but I agree with you that a manager, you know, sort of manager training that is integrated into the other types of training would have been tremendously helpful. And also having a community at work of other working parents would have been helpful. So there is a crazy statistic that there are two babies born per day in two people who work for Gap Inc. or who are, you know, at least on the insurance for Gap Inc. But there was no visible community. There was no intentional way for these people to come together. So you would sort of see people coming and going from the quiet rooms. And, you know, I sort of had knew who was carrying like pump bags back and forth from the, you know, fridge. But it wasn't something that was intentional. And so I saw an opportunity. And actually, as you know, as Lori mentioned, that was one of the reasons that I raised my hand to say, hey, you know, we are a very family friendly culture and we have this culture of employee network groups, but we don't have one for working parents. And so I was able to make the case to leadership and my co-chair and I, who he is a working dad in the on the legal team at Gap Inc., stood up this group formally earlier this year. And we've had some, you know, just amazing response to this resource. We've had a number of events we've had. We actually bring together parents for facilitated discussion groups that we call parent circles. And we've had leaders talk about how they've navigated their changing parental responsibilities over the course of their career and over the course of their children's, you know, as their children have grown up. And I have benefited so much from hearing from my fellow working parents here. And I have heard from other employees that this group has really filled a missing hole that existed before. So I was, I'm just delighted that it's something that I was able to kind of usher into existence. Yeah, the community is really key. And let me just say, you know, kind of pointing back to your first question, you know, how important paid parental leave is. There 
very few states you have it. You're right, California was leading the vanguard. They were the first. But we've had a number of guests on the show who've been in states and the district now has paid family leave where that's offered and how key that is. So, you know, to policymakers and those who are making the rules, it makes a tremendous difference. I would say um, actually Gap Inc. changed its policy. Since I have been working here, we have increased the number of weeks that are covered through our paid leave, extended that leave to anyone who becomes a parent, regardless of how their family is formed. And what I'm really thrilled about, and I know, Lori, you share a passion for this, Our policy now includes hourly employees who are in our stores, who work at least 24 hours a week within the past year. So that's something that I think is critical. We often think of this as something that is just relevant for people in headquarters offices, and that's absolutely not true. It's for anyone, whether they're professional, whether they're administrative, whether they're, you know, hourly employees. So I'm really proud that Gap Inc. has extended our policy to all of our employees. Yeah, that's really key. All right, Lori, I will pass the baton back to you. Yeah, that is huge, Abby. And I just wanted to congratulate you for setting up a strong and robust parent group and for all the programming that it does and the advocacy that it does, too. I was thinking about that divide. I know for you, it's between headquarters and the stores. And in law firm world, it's often between professional staff and the people who bill time, like the attorneys. And I'm definitely on a mission to try to break down those silos as well. I mean, it really shouldn't depend what your title is as to whether or not you're able to have some time to take care of a new baby. So the next question I have is, what changes, even if they're not specific to parents, do you think are happening in the corporate impact field that happen to be affecting working parents? Well, I think this idea of shared value that we started talking about, that there can be benefits for employers, for companies, to investing in talent. So for my day job, I think a lot about our associates in our stores. So the idea is that retail has a very, very high turnover rate and that if you can bring down that turnover rate, there's cost savings associated with that. There's benefits to customer service. There's all sorts of positive impacts. And so what Gap did a dozen plus years ago was found a program called This Way Ahead to help 16 to 24 year olds who were not generally able to get their foot in the door for a job that are facing a lot of barriers to employment, such as, you know, they might be in the foster care system, they might be living in communities that have very high unemployment rates and don't have people they know that can make introductions for them in a workplace, and see those young people as a source of untapped talent that end up actually, once they have training and are given the opportunity, make amazing employees. So that idea that you can kind of do well by doing good as Tom mentioned, extends to working parents as well. So by investing in things like paid leave, by ensuring that managers have consistent training, there can be benefits to all employees, but certainly to the retention of working parents and others. So I think that, you know, one thing I am starting to see is this idea of uh, more support for dual career couples more broadly. I know that companies that have to recruit and retain top talent for their business, such as consulting firm and law firms, are starting to wake up to the fact that, you know, within married couples with children, now about two thirds of them are in situations where both partners work. And that is only, you know, higher for millennials. So I think it's about 78% of millennials and 73% of Gen Xers have a situation where both 
parents are working outside the home. And that was not the case when a lot of leaders, you know, C-suite executives came up through the ranks, right? They were probably most likely part of a more traditional model where one person was the breadwinner and one person was the caregiver. And now that those demographics are changing, companies are starting to talk about, well, how do we make it so that you don't have to change job locations three or four times to go through this kind of hierarchy of what it takes to become executive? How can we make it so that it is not, you know, there's that teams are talking about the norms for meetings and it's not assumed that when a meeting gets put on the calendar at 7 p.m. that that's just going to be the way it is. So I think that, you know, I'm starting to see and hear about changes that are happening across a lot of different companies that will be, you know, to make the circumstances more supportive for people who are juggling two careers and caregiving responsibilities within one family. Mm, Those are great points, Abby. I heard a talk last week relating to different generations and, you know, millennials being as a generation being known for impatience and wanting things to change. And, you know, there's the complaint about their impatience, but then there's also the fact that motivates change. And so I think we're seeing a generation come up with completely different expectations. And I'm happy to see that on the working parent front, that is moving the needle. Back to you, Tom. All right. Very good. Well, let me ask you this, Abby. What is your number one best piece of advice for navigating life as a working parent? So this is something I heard recently, actually, but I really love it. And it's this idea of the 10-10-10 model for making decisions. And I think, you know, as a working parent, I'm often in situations where a, I'm supposed to have an important meeting that day and I get a call from the school that, you know, one of my kids has a fever or, you know, something that just throws a monkey wrench. And, you know, you often have to decide, like, what do I do or how do I rearrange things? And so this idea is you think about what are the consequences of making this choice in 10 minutes? What are the consequences in 10 months? And what are the consequences in 10 years? Sort of like what will, you know, if, you know, this idea of like, okay, you have a key meeting at the same time that, you know, one of your kids has a school performance, like, what do you do? And you could agonize, right? You could play out all the scenarios, but kind of zooming out into, you know, essentially, it's a tool to try to get perspective on, you know, what will kind of matter the longer out that you zoom. And I really like that framework. I think it was Susie Welch who came up with it. But I'm trying that on for size, because I think it's a really interesting idea. I think that's fascinating. It is. And as I, you know, as my kids have gotten older, and I mean, you know, above toddler stage, and now I've got a a young teenager, the things, particularly the teenager, whatever happened in his younger years, like that he just doesn't remember. (laughs) Like, it just didn't have any impact on him at all. So I think it's a great point. Like, what impact is it going to have on him in 10 years? Probably, I mean, unless it's really epic, probably none. So I think it's a great way to, to keep perspective. I wish I had had that mindset tool when I was going through it. Uh, well, let me ask you a follow-up question on that. Is, is there a book or an article that has had an impact on you as a parent that you'd like to share? So there's a book by Ron Lieber called The Opposite of Spoiled, Raising Kids Who Are Grounded, Generous, and Smart About Money. And, you know, raising kids in a city that is becoming notorious for its, you know, level of expense and income and inequality that exists, you know, is not lost on me. So I am constantly seeking out resources for how to, you know, get perspective and then give my kids perspective about money. And so this is a great book. The cover has a picture of three jars, spend, save and give. And when we started giving my older son an allowance, we used, started introducing this method where you give, you know, he gets three dollars 
a week and he puts $1 in each of the jars. And, you know, for the spend, it's he can buy the candy that he sees at eye level right at the grocery store checkout line. Um, The save is for bigger ticket items that to teach kids the importance of saving up for something and delayed gratification. And then give is to introduce this idea of philanthropy and giving back to the people who are not as fortunate. We actually, he had just saved enough money in the give jar and we went online to donorschoose.org, which is a great website that supports projects from teachers and classrooms. And he chose a project that he wanted to support with his give jar and starting to introduce the idea of, you know, how do you, you know, from a very early age, think about your money in different buckets. So highly recommend that book. Right. We'll put that in the show notes. And then a follow on to that, the final one, is there a piece of technology or an app that you rely on heavily as a working parent? Well, when my kids were real little and we had to keep track of things like ounces of milk and diaper changes and naps, <laughs> I used Baby Connect. That was a great app, but we've aged out of that app. And now, honestly, my number one piece of technology is the timer on my Apple Watch, <laughs> which I use many times a day to, you know, moderate arguments or, you know, who gets how many minutes for a turn and, you know, oh, we're about to leave in five minutes and the timer will go off. And so it's, you know, kind of putting everything on the timer as opposed to the parent. And that has become my very favorite feature of my watch. (laughs) Yeah, I use that a lot too. Well, thanks so much for those answers. And I will turn it over to you, Lori. Great. We're all about the oven timer at our house, too. I can hear the beep in my head as you say this. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on with us, Abby, today. I really loved our conversation. Thanks so much for having me on. Fabulous to be here, and I love what you guys are doing. Thank you. And now we turn to our second mom in social impact, Anne Wintrobe, who you may remember leads social innovation for the AT&T Foundation. Welcome, Anne. Thank you, Laura. I'm so happy to be here. It's wonderful to have you. So just to kick off this part of the conversation, we'd love if you'd tell us a little bit about your own personal working parent story. Absolutely. So I had my first child, Augie, 11 years ago when I was in the nonprofit sector. I was working for a library organization, and I was really fortunate to have a wonderful boss who allowed me to extend my maternity leave and spend the time with my first child that I felt that I needed. And I came back to a really supportive workplace. And then we skipped forward about eight years. We were a single child family for quite some time and loved it, and then decided to take a different path. And we had our second son, Arlo, who is now four, while I was at at and And I was similarly so fortunate to have a supervisor who was so supportive of a longer maternity leave um, than the typical three months. And I feel very fortunate today to work for a company um, that deeply respects parents and really enables employees where they can to have flexible schedules and to best be there for their work and for their families. Mm. So what was the definition of a longer leave for you, Anne? Yeah, number one was wound up being five months and number two was six months. Great. Um, Excellent. Yes. Thinking about the field that you're currently working in, how would you describe what it's like to be a mom in the social impact space these days? I find it to be very empowering because I strongly believe in paying forward the, frankly, the luck that I've had with being supportive, with becoming a parent and being an attentive parent while being a really ambitious professional. So I find in the impact, the social impact in CSR space, you know, being at a more senior level within that world now, I find it very invigorating to be able to to encourage younger parents to take the time that they need to be with their very young children 
and to work together, you know, with parents at similar stages to where I am to create, you know, the type of experiences that honor what we're trying, what we're seeking to balance in our lives and that also make it, I don't want to say simpler because it's not about it being simple, but that make it more palpable for younger parents to look at people more senior than them and think, you know, I can keep doing this to see models of how to, you know, you're never making it all work, but you're making, you're doing your best, right? To see models of people doing their best and living really purposeful, professional and personal family lives. Yeah, I love how intentional you're being about that mentoring piece and really helping those folks who are coming up with really, really little ones right behind you. Absolutely. Tom, turning it over to you. Yeah, no, welcome, and All interesting stuff. Well, let me ask you, what workplace supports did you find particularly helpful as you became a working parent? Obviously, the extended leave was one. Any others that come to mind? Certainly. And granted, it's easy to say this when you work for a company like AT&T, but the ability to work, and I'm not saying this to advertise my company, the ability to work anywhere, frankly, you know, the ability to do work through a variety of different devices and teams that appreciate that and that, you know, honor that we aren't all lucky enough to be in one office and we work from, you know, many different geographic locations and many different work environments. So I would say that that for me has been what has made being a working parent just most as efficient and enjoyable as possible. Absolutely. And those, you know, the great thing about those, that kind of technologies, it's not only great for working parents, but anybody that wants to have a life other than in their, you know, office, if you've got aging parents, if you've got, you know, any kind of caretaking responsibilities, it really is a... You know, we're lucky to live in a time when these are available. As a follow-up to that, were there any supports that you did not have when you were starting out as a working parent that you think that other parents might benefit from? You know, I think that something that all of the working parents I know struggle with, while recognizing that many of us are really fortunate to have flexible work situations and environments, is just the traditional aspect of a school calendar and how it just simply does not, (laughs) there's no overlay with that and a professional's calendar. So, you know, pickups and drop-offs and they will happen at the same time as an 8 a.m. meeting. And the challenge of after school and making that work for your children and not wanting them to be there, you know, for a, so that it's a 13 hour day for them um, because of more traditional expectations of working hours. That's certainly challenging. And I don't know that anyone's fixed that, so to speak. I think that's a good point. I mean, it is, you know, for schools generally, I think it's, you know, welcome to the 19th century. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, schools doing wonderful things, but in terms of the schedule, you know, you're right. I mean, it's while the workplace in many ways has evolved to have all this flexibility. And I, I don't know what schools would do about this, but it's just not. Absolutely. It's just much more rigid with the school schedule. I would chime in also that this particular week, I've been very frustrated by the summer camp sign-up schedule, which we had, there were two days this week when one summer camp was scheduled to open its sign-up at 11 a.m. Now, of course, that's during the workday. And if you don't sign up right at 11, you're pretty much doomed and you're not going to get a spot. And their system got so overloaded that it crashed. And after spending about an hour fighting with the system, they finally reopened registration at 6 p.m. Now, 6 p.m. is like drop off pick, well, not drop off, but pickup time, right? And so all sorts of frustration ensued. And then two days later, a different camp opened and it was noon 
for, you know, the registration time, their system crashed. And then it was a six o'clock at night. Same scenario, had to log back in again, spend another hour dealing with it. So I'm like, these are working parents who need camp. Uh, I know. (laughs) These hours are just not good anyway. Yeah. No, it's terrible. So I'm just venting my weak frustration about summer camp sign up. Of course. Well, and then let us not forget just the challenge of the summertime. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And the Herculean effort of coordinating summer schedules and making the summer schedules work. And that the wonders never sees about how complicated that is. Great. Thanks. So Anne, if you think about the corporate impact field, broadly speaking, what changes do you see happening in that space that you think are having an effect on working parents, even if those changes aren't directly targeted at working parents? Yeah, I think that the attention that we are all paying both in the social impact field and more generally to positive digital cultures and to digital toxicity. You know, that is something that we are certainly thinking about from a social impact perspective. And of course, as a parent, it's critical that we consider that. So, you know, I think that's one area where I am, you know, where I, as a professional, we are learning so much more and a part of so many incredible efforts. And I do feel hopeful. And as a parent, I'm just grateful that these efforts are taking place. And similarly, in more of the sort of traditional education side, which is, you know, much of, I mean, education is much of my focus at the AT&T Foundation. So, you know, I'm very fortunate to play a part in so many of the different innovations that are coming out of the education sector right now, whether that's about ed tech or, you know, new pedagogies in education or new ways that young people are developing the skills they need to ultimately be successful in the workplace. Certainly those innovations both within and outside of the traditional education system are ones that are, you know, deeply impacting how I think about education for my own children and, you know, and for our community here in the Bay Area. Mm. So I can imagine what the phrase means, obviously, but I hadn't heard it before. And I'm curious to hear you explain a little bit more digital toxicity. What does that mean to you exactly? And is that maybe it's a cool catchphrase that I just hadn't caught on to yet? I'm not sure how cool it is, but, you know, it's referring to negative actions in the online world, right? Whether it's bullying or harassment, you know, ways in which I was going to say young people, but truly it's people of all ages are experiencing things that are potentially very harmful, you know, on the internet, right? And how we create both a cultural fix for those and also where possible, you know, technological aids for those sort of cultural fixes that... I think we all see are so needed at this particular moment in time. Thanks, Anne. There's one other thing I wanted to circle back on, and it's that you talked about some innovations and new pedagogies that you're seeing as a result of working in your role in AT&T that you think are really you know, fascinating for parents. Is there any one in particular that you want to tell us about that you think we should be on the lookout for? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it's like one product in particular, but something that I've really been thinking about is, you know, we... Obviously, all of our kids are, whether we like it or not, they're either on a device now or they will be soon enough. And I'm trying to be really conscious as a parent of making sure that my child is, you know, not just a sort of passive receiver of information online, but really deeply understands how to create online from a technical perspective, as well as a creative one, and really how to tell stories and how to connect with people through the storytelling. So, you know, the encouraging young people to make media and to find their voice, certainly it's not any sort of new or groundbreaking idea. But I think, you know, the various ways in which content creation, media making, 
all of that, the various possibilities that are now available to young people, you know, at the touch of what used to be a button, it's really incredible. So I am really excited about all of these different resources, whether, you know, it's groups like Ghetto Film School doing incredible work to train young people or, you know, different online tools for content creation, just helping young people to become creators rather than just consumers of content online. Mm, I love that deeper use of these technological advances. So it's not just a surface interaction, but really using some of the deeper thinking and creative skills with these technologies that we can't avoid. That's awesome. Passing it back to you, Tom. Great. Thanks, Lori. Yeah, I find that fascinating. And I'd just like to follow up just a little bit on that before I ask my next question. And, you know, we talked to Anne a little bit and Lori before we started the show just about, you know, I've got a 14 year old now who is full on, you know, into the digital world. And it sounds to me like what you're talking about, tell me if this is right. It's almost a a more nuanced or third way between what I see as two poles of allowing your child to basically, you know, within reason, have a free for all on social media or just to deny them a phone until you, they can't stand it anymore. <laughs> and you have to give it this like is more, this is a new idea for me, the one that you're describing, but it makes a lot of sense that, you know, this is a world that they live in now. We can't deny that anymore. And to give them, you know, rather than to say, you know, prohibition or, you know, laissez-faire more like this is how you this is how you have some agency and participate in this online culture. Is that sort of what you're saying? It is. And I think that it, you know, it can be if you have a kid who's really technological and coding is something that's attractive to them, like it can be about coding and understanding, you know, what goes into building an app. If you have a kid who is interested in telling stories and or who might be more performative, right? It's about using your phone to create content. I just, I'm trying to be in my family as conscious as I am with my work about empowering, you know, my kids as we do the young people, you know, that are the beneficiaries of the work that we do, you know, to use their devices to be creators, you know, again, just in addition to being passive consumers, right? So the difference between sitting there and watching YouTube videos all day and maybe watching a few of them and then making your own I think it's an important distinction. Yeah, it is happening. I mean, I hadn't thought about it in this context, but my son, you know, when he was, you know, perhaps, you know, both my wife and I are lawyers, perhaps, you know, working on his early lawyering skills and was lobbying us, you know, for a phone, you know, he talked about, you know, you need the camera and we're like, okay, yeah, you need a camera. But it's true. Like he does have a class uh, in his middle school where, you know, they shoot films and they do, it's got a great teacher and he does cool stuff with it. And so, that makes me feel a little better about my choice about giving him a phone <laughs> that he's able to participate that. But it is true. He is creating, you know, he's doing a lot more passive consuming than I would like, but he is creating with it in a way that I would, you know, is much more sophisticated than I could do. Totally. Well, and I think what I've seen too, and certainly there are nothing wrong with, you know, young people creating content on their own, but if they take it to that next level and they're creating content with friends and, you know, making films or shorts or, I mean, gosh, even like TikTok, right? Yeah, sure. They, what they're learning about in terms of collaboration and creativity and strategy, I mean, those are skills that will serve them in whatever they do and serve them profoundly. So I'm just really trying to be deliberate about and, you know, my oldest is only 11, so we're not deeply in this just yet. But in work, very deliberate about how you, you know, empower device use for good. And I hope to carry that through with my family as well. So Lori, who clearly lives under a rock and hasn't heard the word digital toxicity or TikTok. What is TikTok? <laughs> Enlighten me here. You don't know TikTok? Oh, you do. 
Well, I am like the last person who should be describing TikTok. Tom, I mean, you have a 14-year-old. You probably know it better than I. Oh, and I would not know what TikTok is. I would be thankfully ignorant of it were it not for him. There, And I don't fully understand it, except that it is this online platform where people share very, very short videos and memes. And and that's essentially it. And there, a lot of them are humorous. So Instagram, but videos? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you for the education. And there's like, there is the New York Times did an article on TikTok ooh, a couple months ago in their arts and leisure section, interestingly. And it was about how like TikTok is truly this creative force for young people. Now, whether or not that's the case, you know, I don't have a point of view on, but it's certainly they were sort of like heralding TikTok as a way in which kids were making, you know, music videos and like sort of the new drama club. Mm. I don't know if all parents would agree with that, but it does sound like, you know, it is a way to share content that's been created really deliberately and in many times collaboratively. I learned something on yeah. every one of these podcasts we record. So thank you, Anne. <laughs> now it was TikTok is going to find you and you'll never be able to escape. Well, or by the time we find out about it, it's done. So it could be done by now. I have no idea. <laughs> it's done. Exactly. It's like, you know, so what am I, what, I mentioned Facebook to my son and he like, you know, turned his, he's like, Facebook. <laughs> yeah, right. He's like, what are you like over 30? Like nobody uses Facebook. But yeah, and I think TikTok like... Like, you know, it's sort of the, you know, almost a YouTube, like people are getting discovered on it and they're TikTok stars. It is an interesting platform. Well, and in follow on to that in terms of parenting and what would you say is your number one piece of advice that you would give a new parent for navigating life as a working parent? As a new parent? Because it is certainly different than as a working parent. How about both? Yeah, exactly. So as a new parent, I would say be lighter on yourself as a parent, you know, just like reflecting back, particularly to when I had my first and I suspect many of us felt this way. I was just so hard on myself with expectations of the type of parent I wanted to be. Reflecting back now, what I see is someone who is just struggling to be a good caregiver, right? I feel like parenting doesn't even come into the equation until much further down the line. But just to be light with yourself. And, you know, if you're a woman, the breastfeeding thing, like do what feels right, let go when you want to let go. And also what I would say as new parents is I think regardless as to whether, you know, you're in regardless as to what the dynamics are of your relationship, like they're just seeking 50-50 is really challenging. So I would say just seek to feel as though things are balanced, but seeking 50-50 if you do have a partner in parenting might not be a realistic expectation in the beginning, you know, in those first very vulnerable and fragile months and maybe the first year of parenting. And then for working parents, I would say quite the opposite, which is to be more gentle on yourself as a professional and just, you know, I like to think if I can end the day recognizing just a few moments where I felt like I did bring my best, that's a good day, right? It's not going to be all day. There are those magical occasions where it may be, but, you know, I just I shoot every day to have a few moments that I can identify and that feel like small wins, so to speak, right? Where I feel like I did my best and something was made more clear or something was achieved. And I have found just being able to reflect upon those to be a really helpful practice in being a working parent. I think that's some excellent wisdom, you know, because it is as all consuming as it feels, particularly with young kids at the time. And not that you want to rush it away, but it passes, right? I mean, all of a sudden they're my older. I mean, like they're in public school and just those days of, you know, where you're sleep deprived and or you're, you're dealing with a toddler, they just, they fade. Yeah. And don't forget to enjoy it, right? I mean, when we had our second, yeah, because we had eight years in between and 
it was, you know, if you can just let it be delightful for a little while. I mean, babies are ridiculous. They're so weird and <laughs> strange and unpredictable. And hopefully there's no other time in life in which we will encounter another human that is right. that way in such right. an intimate fashion. And just being able to enjoy it more the second time was, you know, it shouldn't be a luxury, but it was because the first time I was just much more focused in on being, you know, the right type of parent and doing the right type of things. And I think the second time, you know, with the gift of many years between the two, just being able to sit back and enjoy it more. It's really wonderful. Yeah. What about, do you have a favorite book or article that really impacted you that you would recommend to a new working parent? I do. And it's probably not one that's typically associated with new parents, but there was a book called Flow. I think, I mean, it's old now, must have come out like 15 years ago. Oh, yeah. But it's about, yeah, you remember that flow? And then there was like a cheater's guide to flow, which was the one I read. I don't think I ever read the whole, the whole, <laughs> the larger Bible on flow. But it really taught me to just recognize like when all my cylinders are firing and recognize when you yourself are in that moment of flow, which is the moment where you are, you know, sort of like you're just really in it. You're most productive. You're most brilliant. You're your most in tune with yourself and with the moment and recognizing that and aiming for that, not all the time, but on occasion as both a parent and professional, that's something, that book is one I just find myself still reflecting on even after having read <laughs> The Tutor's Guide all those years ago. Yeah, I remember it's been a long time since I, I read that book, but you know, it's a classic. It's a good book. I haven't thought about it in the parenting context, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think that it does. I'd be curious actually to go back and read it now and see if the way that I recall it is even the book that it was. Yeah, sure. Or whether the learnings I've taken from it are just what I've sort of embellished it with over the years. But I recall from that is something that I do draw upon often as a parent and professional. Yeah. That's great. We'll put a link to that one in the show notes. And then finally, is there a piece of technology that you rely on helpfully to uh, that you rely on to as a working parent? Honestly, the piece of technology we rely on the most is paper. (laughs) 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 After trying everything in our household, you know, my partner and I both have demanding jobs. We both travel a lot. We, our paper calendar is the only thing that works for us. You know, it's our Bible. It's at home on a big board. We don't commit to anything outside of normal working hours until we've checked the calendar. It also means that we're communicating about things and talking about things rather than just getting like an alert that says, Alex, you know, we'll be in Phoenix on Wednesday. Good luck. (laughs) Yeah, good luck. Exactly. (laughs) So, well, and the other thing, I mean, this probably does, I suspect many of us are in this boat, but just, I mean, being able to order food online, like it is a game changer. It's not a piece of technology. Oh, huge. But yeah, just for us having, you know, being in the fortunate place where if, if it costs a little bit more, we can make it work. It is worth every additional penny to cross the grocery store off your list of things you need to do. Yeah. Well, first of all, I will hesitate just to share this with my wife because she is also a kind of a paper calendar kind of gal. And I'm not. I like so we have a paper slash electronic, you know, so she's like, well, it's on the paper calendar. And I'm like, I know, but it's not on my electronic calendar. And, you know. <laughs> yeah, because you have to stand there looking at your paper calendar together once a week. Right. You know, which is what we do. It's so inefficient, but it's the only thing that works. Uh, it does make a lot of sense. I mean, there is something to that. So I will let her know that she's not the only one out there. Maybe I'll wave. The- she's not alone. We can start a little support group. Uh, so that's right. I'll wave the white flag and say, okay, <laughs> Anne said it worked for that. 
you know, my husband should talk to your wife, Tom, because my husband's a paper calendar guy and I'm the Outlook calendar person. And so we also have a weekly meeting on Saturday nights to discuss a number of things, but one of them is calendar coordination. So I can relate to all of this. Yeah. Okay, good. Absolutely. I'm glad to know there are other split households out there where I'm keying it into my, you know, my Google calendar and she's there with her paper one writing it down and, you know, because <laughs> you got to do what works, right? And yeah, let me second the ordering food. I mean, we just last night, in fact, and as you say, it is a privilege to, you know, to be able to do that. But, what, you know, I was doing one of my go-to is like, you know, we just get toward the end of the day. It was clear nobody was going to cook dinner. And I went to one of my go-tos and they were all of a sudden out of our delivery range. And I was like so stumped. I was like, well, now what? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I know. I was like, this old days, I have to drive there? What? We're just breaking out Cheerios. That's what we're having for dinner, kids. <laughs> hey, I mean, everybody's happy with a bowl of Cheerios for dinner. You know, there's no shame in a bowl of Cheerios on occasion. They're fortified. Come on. Yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> there's some milk in there. You get your calcium. Everybody was. Right. Right. So anyway. All right. Well, that's great. And I will say my goodbyes here since Lori will take over. But thank you for joining us, Anne. And Lori, I will pass the baton back to you. Great. Thank you so much, Anne. This has been a wonderful conversation i will take you know the quote there's no shame in a bowl of cheerios down to my <laughs> kitchen and tell the family that maybe that's what we'll do for dinner tonight since i don't think we have a plan you're welcome Thank you. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure to have the conversation with you and also to talk to Abby. Please stay tuned, everyone, for our next episode, which will be with a couple of dads in the social impact space. And so we'll be turning to that next and hope you will join us for the next episode. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Parents at Work podcast. Are you interested in learning more about our show, our hosts, or today's guest? Do you have a comment or question you'd like to share with the Parents at Work community? Then contact us at www.spigglelaw.com slash podcast. We'll see you next time.